Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at current events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now. This episode of All Things is brought to you by Crossway, publisher of the new book, Sunday Matters, 52 devotionals to prepare your heart for church by Paul David Tripp, a weekly devotional to help readers prepare their hearts for church. Christians understand the importance of attending church, but many find their attention being pulled away from worship because of family, schedule, work, finances, and other distractions. With so much on their minds, how can churchgoers prepare their hearts to offer God the worship he deserves? In Sunday Matters, Paul David Tripp shares 52 devotions about the beauty and significance of the church, helping Christians engage in vibrant, gathered worship each week. Each short, accessible meditation highlights an essential spiritual topic, including divine grace, gratitude, our identity in Christ, and dependence on the Lord. Over the course of a year, Sunday Matters will strengthen each believer's personal relationship with God and fill churches with joyful, engaged, and passionate worshipers. Pick up a copy of Sunday Matters wherever books are sold or visit crossway.org forward slash plus and get 30% off with your Crossway Plus account. Well, on this episode of All Things, we are diving into an editorial that was published on October 23rd, 2023 in Christianity Today. This particular article really caught my eye. The title is The Black Church Models a Different Conversation About Gender Roles. So you guys know I love to think and talk about culture, ethnicity, gender roles, and the church. So I quickly devoured the article and then reached out to the author, who is Christy Adams, for the conversation that you are about to hear. Christy says that she cut a ton of words out of the article, which I fully understand. We writers always cut more than we publish, oftentimes because of the constraints, not always, but oftentimes because of the constraints of the platform on which we're publishing. I could tell from the article that there was just so much more that we could discuss than she could print. And our conversation, of course, even then, barely scratches the surface. Christy talks to us about the important role of church mothers in the Black church. I love that title. I love that role. It's not a formal role, but it's an obvious role in the Black church, as Christy is going to describe and share with us. She talks about the health and flourishing that she has seen in many Black churches. And she talks about the close community that she found there as a child, how it shaped her, how it grew her to be the adult that she is as an advocate, an author, a teacher for Black girls. Um, So be sure to check out all of her um, offerings and her books in my show notes. But together, Christy and I wonder about how and why the wisdom and perspective of the Black church is often left out of broader conversations about the church in the United States. There's a lot here. And again, we barely scratched the surface, but I trust that this conversation will encourage you and even spark in you a curiosity to learn more. I know all of my All Things listeners are curious, so hopefully this will just um, spur you on. As Christy says, the doors to the Black church are always wide open, and there's a lot there for us to learn from listen in. Welcome everybody to another episode of All Things. I am thrilled today to be bringing to you somebody that I just encountered online and I'm so grateful to be bringing her voice to All Things and sharing her perspective with you. Um, This is Christy Adams. Christy, welcome to All Things. Thanks for having me, Jen. 
<laughs> yeah. So Chrissy, you, I, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the community that's listening. Um, just over the last week or so, as you know, I, I read an article that you wrote on Christianity Today. So I started digging, started following you online, found some of your books, actually started, listened to one of them almost <laughs> totally in the last 24 hours. Um, but you are a minister, you work at a boarding school, you are an author, <laughs> you started a conference, um, you do a lot. So can you just share with everybody who are you? A little bit of your biography. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm a Jersey girl. I always tell the buddy that. Um, I was born in New York, but was raised in New Jersey. And um, and so I feel like my roots are there. Uh, I currently am um, working at a boarding school in Pennsylvania. I uh, My official title here is Dean of Spiritual Life and Equity. And so that essentially means that I oversee uh, spiritual life, the area of spiritual life on campus, as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion. Also, I'm a religious studies teacher here um, as well, and advisor. So when you work at a boarding school, you 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 do a smorgasbord of responsibilities. There's not like one specific job, but that's that is where I am currently today. I have a degree in advertising from Temple University. Um, that I do not use. So I sometimes try to like, <laughs> I'm very intentional about telling people like, okay, I try not to skip over that part of my life and go right to my, uh, my MDiv. But sometimes I do because a lot of what I do is really reflected by the three years that I spent. I went to Princeton Seminary, got an MDiv there. Um, and so it feels like my career or my vocation really took off then. Um, but really in all actuality, it started at Temple University in Philadelphia. So um, I always give big ups there when I can. Um, mm-hmm. I started off working in the church um, after seminary. I, I grew up in the church that I, that I worked at. Um, was there for about three years. Really wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do after seminary. I knew I was called to do a unique, unconventional ministry. I wasn't quite sure if that was going to be in the church. And I struggled with that for a while, although I'm really grateful for being able to be exposed to the church um, as a congregant and as a minister or as someone that's working on the staff. But my calling was outside of the four walls of the church, but it started there. I feel like that Mm -hmm. training definitely was there. Mm -hmm. Um, My mentor at the time's name was Buster Stories, was a civil rights leader. Um, he was a uh, secretary of state of state of New Jersey, it's very, very, um, active in the community, continues to be active in the community, even to this day, he is now retired, but a lot of, um, who I am, a lot of my training was, was under him. And, um, a lot of where I got my passion for justice and community really came from that upbringing. Um, but I felt like after three years um, there, after seminary, I just, you know, went off to do something different. And that was college ministry. I didn't know much about college ministry or working with young people outside of just youth ministry in the church. But um, there was there's a whole world out there <laughs> of different, you know, institutions, organizations um, that that where you can you know live out that vocation that calling to to youth and young adults um not necessarily you know in in the institution of the church so Mm -hmm. i worked at azusa pacific university um right after that for a few years then i actually went to georgetown as a a chaplain in residence at georgetown 
and um, was also a Protestant chaplain at Georgetown too. So I had to juggle some things, but I wound up here and I will say that I am fulfilling ministry here at the school, but it's not a religious institution um, per se, but it is a space that um, I can still sort of live that out and carry that out no matter, no matter what my title is. So, and I am author. Yes. Okay. So I usually forget that. I was <laughs> think about the, like the job, you know, like uh-huh. the, the, the consistent paycheck. This is, you know, what my path has been, but the author, the writing, um, it started like years ago when people had blogs. I just liked mm-hmm. the blog, you know, back in the day mm-hmm. and it wasn't, you know, I, I miss the days of blogging. People still do blog, but it's, it's, there's so much pressure, you know, to, yeah perform or be or have an audience and have things that are just cross your T's and dot your I's. And the good old days of blogging for me was just throwing up (laughs) whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and that's where the writing started for me. But I didn't, I didn't write my first, um, I actually wrote a book called The Misinterpreted Gospel of Singleness. I never talk about that book. It, uh, it was, it was a self-published book that I said, Hey, I, I want to write a book. And I wanted to knock that off my bucket list. I never thought I was going to be an author. It was just to write. And I, when I was at APU really briefly, I, there was a lot of like ring by spring. And, you know, there was a lot of, um, at the time, at least I'm not sure if it's still that way, but there was a lot Mm -hmm. of that. So I wrote that book on singleness um, back in 2013 and just self-published it and was like, you know, when I was done with that, it was like, this is, this is great done, you know, and it, and never thought uh, I would actually be a, a published author after that. So that started in mm-hmm. about 2016, 17 was when the, the journey toward um, becoming an author started for me. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you took the plunge because I've, mm-hmm. you know, almost listened to fully to your first book. Mm-hmm. Your, uh, next, the second one looks great. You have another one coming out next year. Of course, we'll talk more about that and be linking all that in the show notes so people can find it. But um, I mean, I, I'm, I think I'm really drawn to your work because I do love to talk about gender, culture, theology, mm-hmm. just where all of those collide. And that's clearly your career, your life, your specialty. And so um, I think that's why the Christianity Today article felt really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get into that. And then I hope that you can maybe just share more of your story and more of what you write about in your books, because I think there's a lot there, way more than a half hour conversation can cover, (laughs) but we're going to, we're going to give it a try. So this article that came out last week, of course, I'll link it again. Um, Let me just read the beginning of it. And I want to ask you to help us unpack it. So you said um, debates about women's roles in the church are back in the headlines, which parentheses, that's true. I just did a podcast on that last week. Yes. So I was like, yes, it is in the headlines. Um, But a lot of them leave out a large, important group of American Christians, the black church. Here, discussions about the place of women in Christianity don't happen on white evangelicals' terms. Black Mm -hmm. churches don't use the same language or framework as white evangelicals, particularly concerning gender roles. The terminology of egalitarian versus complementarian is rarely used, focusing only on how this discussion happens in predominantly white denominations, misses the insights that the black church can bring to conversations about women in the church. Okay, Mm -hmm. boom, great Mm -hmm. introductory paragraph. I am like, give me more. Um, But to set the table first, Christy, can you define for us the black church? What does it mean when you say the black church? I know you grew up in it. Like, what is the black church? Well, do me a favor, too, as you're reading, because I want to start with the Henry Louis Gates quote. Um, Mm. I don't have it in front of me, but if you can start there. 
You know um, what? I don't either because I cut and paste down. it. Oh no, it's okay. I, I you know, but I can probably find it. My article. I, I have it. I have it. I have it. Okay. 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 Read us <laughs> okay. So a little bit further down, um, yeah. I quote Henry Louis Gates, who does a whole thing on the Black Church. If anybody um, has not seen it, mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. is a PBS documentary that Henry Louis Gates did on the Black Church. It's it's several uh, episodes. So good. Um, my my fear for that is the, the 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 people that were most excited about that when that came out. I guess it was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, were people that had grown up in the Black Church or are currently a part of the Black Church. Um, but I think it was it it was really important for people outside of the Black Church to watch that documentary too, um, because I find myself often having to define what mm-hmm. what I mean by the Black Church, particularly mm-hmm. when I'm writing articles that it could be about any topic and I might just bring up the black church and then it's like, Hey, can you give us a whole description on that? And I'm like, Oh, the, the, it takes, it, you know, it take, not for this article, but in any mm-hmm. other case, it really takes away from the article when I'm mm-hmm. like just talking about the context of the black church, but I have to do a whole history lesson, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. every time yeah, I write fair. about it. Um, but um, he says here in this uh, article, he says, In the centuries since its birth in the time of slavery, the Black church has stood as the foundation of Black religious, political, economic, and social life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what I say here is we call ourselves the Black church, not just because of the color of our skin, but because of the institution's unique historical and cultural significance within the African-American community. Mm -hmm. And so so there are people um, that attend the Black church that aren't necessarily Black. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when when I grew up, there were people of different. Um, even though we were majority African American congregation, there were people of different ethnicities that were were, were within our congregation that just appreciated African American culture. Right. Um, and so the Black Church continues to stand to this day. The Black Church emerged um, out of slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, the the Black church, it was very important for us to establish our identity apart from the institution of slavery, apart from, you know, the American political system. And within that, um, was able to create a structure, create community fellowship, um, create a bond, create its own culture, right? So there's the Black culture in general, and then there's the Black church culture, Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there are specific aspects of the black church that are unique to this particular group, um, mm-hmm. that distinguishes it from, from all else. So it's not mm-hmm. a monolith per se. Um, right. then that's something I definitely wanted to highlight. For sure. Yeah. And you do in the article, cause you talk about various streams and denominations and how they're, they are different now and how they seem to be growing. Um, mm. what, what's your personal story? What kind of church did you grow up in and how do you think that shaped who you are now? Oof. I grew up in a Baptist church. Um, and I, actually I write about this in my newest book that will be out next year, Womanish. Um, a lot of it is how I was introduced to faith um, so it's somewhat of a memoir mm-hmm. as a young person. And it doesn't start with the church, it starts with my, my parents, starts with my grandmother. Um, but it moves on into um, being a part, being christened, number one. I was christened at Bethany Baptist Church in, in Brooklyn, New York, which is a historic black church. 
um, in that area. And so my roots are, are quite literally in the black church. Um, and then when my, my family, we, we left New York and moved to New Jersey, the first thing we needed to do was find a church home. Um, and it was just natural, right? Even Mm -hmm. though I was young, we knew, you know, there's school systems that you look into, you know, you look into the community that you're living in, but you, you find a church home, right? Um, and so even though the community that I was, uh, that, that, we were moving into was predominantly white. It was a white suburban community in East Brunswick, New Jersey. You know, it, it, it didn't matter because our identity and our faith was rooted in us finding a church community. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where, where our sustenance came spiritually, yeah. education, you know, um, just the whole part of who we were as far as our, our identity was concerned. We saw being you know, it being just as crucial to identify a church home as it was to make sure that we attended good schools. Mm. Um, so we found a home um, in First Baptist Church and Pastor Soares was there at the time. Um, and the church grew, you know, it was a small church at the time. Eventually it grew to be a staple in the community. And his focus was on um, youth empowerment, economic mm. empowerment, um, there were there were several community development, um, so it was beyond just you know preaching on Sunday mornings. It was making sure that the community around us was sustained, that we were part of the community, that we were yeah. active, that we were serving one another, and that we were serving those that were around us, um, and that mm-hmm. we were putting our faith into action, which was a theme, um, mm-hmm. a consistent theme with the church, mm-hmm. and um, and that is that is how I grew up being a yeah. part of sort of this seven day a week, even though I wasn't there all seven days that I didn't have to be in church on, on Monday. It was very, it was very much the church within me. Mm-hmm. And so while I may have not, uh, while the, the school that I attended, um, had some racial issues there, you know, I was the only, you know, maybe there wasn't even a handful of, of black students. Um, while I had some identity issues there, I struggled quite yeah. a bit. But my church was where my friendships, you know, where I saw people that looked like me. I saw women in the pulpit. A lot of people didn't, but I, there were women in the pulpit um, in positions of, of authority that were preaching, um, you know. So I found a voice in that space, uh, spiritually, emotionally, and it wasn't perfect, but it, that's why they call it a church home. It's home. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's beyond yeah. just like oh, I'm going to an inst- I never even saw it as an institution. Mm-hmm. I saw this as my extended family. So even now as an adult, you know, even I'm not a member of that church. And um <clears throat> pastor stories is long gone. But if I hear about and people have moved away, but if I hear about, you know, Reverend Gibson was live live who I grew up with was living in, in Florida. She passed away. It's like a family member passing away because we grew yeah. up with these people. Um, and so we loved, there was so much love, so much community. Um, this was, this was who, who we were. So where I didn't have community in my actual community, right. Mm-hmm. I may not. And I think for black people in general who may feel marginalized or, or in, in society in general, it's like we look, we, we may have that outside of the church, but within the church, we, you know, we sort of look to that space 
for to sort of give us the nourishment that we need that we're not receiving outside, you yeah. know? So, yeah. I love how intentional your parents were. I just think that's incredible that they had that priority and, um, that you really got to reap the the benefit of that home for you, mm-hmm. your church home. That's, um, it's not really how I, I don't, I don't think that is the norm, but mm-hmm. let me ask you this, you know, you have said the black church is not a monolith and I hear that. I know that's true. But do you think that community and church home is a bit more of a hallmark of the black church than the quote evangelical church, which when we say that we're really saying the white church, is it more present there? You know, I don't know if one has to, it has to be sort of an either or, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, like as far as like more, I think to each community their own, right? And I'm mm-hmm. not just saying that as a cop out. It's just it's hard to make like sort of blanket statements like that. Yeah, like, we have more community sure. than than you have community. You know, like yeah, sure. No, we have community. It's just defined mm-hmm. differently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's experienced differently. Mm-hmm. So it's like saying, you know, is pop music <laughs> more something than you know R and B music or right. pop music? Right, like. They're two completely different genres. It's it's all music. They're different genres and they can be appreciated mm. differently, but they're experienced differently by the listener. For so sure. um, so that's why I'm just, you know, I know the Grammys is like they they're, you know, announcing today or whatever, right? So but it's it's interesting because when we're like when the, when the album of the year is announced and one group says, oh my God, I can't believe Beyonce didn't and Taylor Swift got this and you know, all that or whatever. There's always one group that feels like, oh my, I can't believe this. But a lot, I, I realize a lot of that debate, it's parallel to this in the sense of like one, one, one group's audience experiences their music very differently than another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it doesn't take away from that. I, it may not be my cup of tea. So I feel like, you know, uh, evangelical churches, it just, it just depends, you know, um, sure. I think on the, on the location, on the community. Um, but I think the black church as a whole, because of the experiences of black people, um, you know, in, in this country, it it's a shared experience across the board for a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of black people um you know what i mean it's yeah. it's it's i can go into a black church in you know mississippi in new jersey in you know california and feel like i'm back at the church that i grew up at mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. a lot of that culture is shared across the board yeah. So I would say that that might be, uh, if there's anything that distinguishes or if there's anything that's different, it's that, you know, I think what's special about the Black church is that it doesn't matter where you go, you know, there is a shared language. There's yeah. a shared, mm-hmm, amen, all right. You know, there's there's a shared way of communicating, um, you know, when we're in that space. And it's funny because I forget his name. Gosh, I just tweeted it on the CMAs uh, the other day. um, There was a guy that won um, Best New Artist. I don't don't see his name. Um, And at the end, he, uh, he gets his award and he starts like, 
practically like preaching, right? He's using oh, like, I saw that video saw last that, night. Right. <laughs> and, yes, and people I saw were it. commenting and they're like, he yes. must have been to a black church. He must have grown up at a black church because of the cadence. And yes. then, you know, and the way that he was, you know, speaking and, yes. um, and it's not that other, you know, white preachers haven't, you know, spoken like that, but there was very much a black culture, yeah. you know, style, mm-hmm. black church culture to how he was preaching or mm-hmm. preaching, how he was speaking. It sounded like he was preaching like the end of a sermon, like he was bringing it <laughs> home. And so people put like joked and put like an organ over it, you know, yep. like, I don't know if you saw, they put an organ <laughs> over the it. That's what I saw. Like, yeah. I think I tweeted that. It was hilarious, but uh-huh. it was like, we all knew, right? Yep. Like there was something about even in how mm-hmm. he was speaking that was very reminiscent of what we grew up in, you know, um, yeah. being a part of being part of the black church. So I think that's a great example. Yeah, no, it's good. I'll have to link that too. <laughs> and to your point earlier, um, the documentary called the black church. I did see that Mm -hmm. a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Very excellent. So I'll link Mm -hmm. that as well. So people can keep learning after this episode. Mm -hmm. Um, but let's get to just the specific conversation about gender and gender roles. uh, Mm Um, because I would love to just hear your perspective. I know there's some things we have to learn here. Um, but you say in the article that black women make up about 60% of the average congregation, Mm -hmm. Um, but you, this is a quote from you. You wrote, though the black church has historically sought equality for black people in society at large, black women have often been marginalized within the institution and kept out of leadership roles. Yeah. Um, so I know that you say the role of women in black churches seems to be evolving across yeah. denominations. As the article went on, you kind of gave some examples of how it's changing and growing. But can you talk to us a little bit about the history of women in the black church and um, just... Yeah unpack more of what you wanted to get across in this article. Yeah. Um, let's see, try to summarize that. I actually want to go back though, to the, I wish I would had the space to unpack the complementarian egalitarian, mm. because I feel like, you know, I had to go into more of the, I want to say history, but sort of explaining the three different denominations um, I think, you know, more, more was left to the palate there. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason why I started it off that way is because I have felt that, um, that I wasn't introduced to those terms until white people started saying them. <laughs> I just yeah. didn't, never heard it before, you know, like I didn't even really hear it in seminary. I don't remember hearing it at Princeton. They may have said it, um, you know, I just, I don't remember. It wasn't until I really got evangelical spaces when I started working at Azusa Pacific University, because that's traditionally the sort of a Christian evangelical school. Um, that was when I first started hearing complementarian egalitarian. I'm like, what does that mean? What's that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't mean that it, that it wasn't, you know, those, that type of thinking isn't reflected in the black church. I also want to correct that there are, um, men and women who believe in gender roles. Um, It just, you know, that, that, that is something that is still a ongoing, uh, I would say it's an ongoing debate, but what I was trying to lead to is that it was more around the leadership of women in the church 
mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the sort of family structure. I think mm-hmm. that there are varied family structures within Black families, and and it's sort of a t- to each their own type of thing. But as far as like my wife has to th- th- like I, that, I hear more with the complementarian egalitarian thing. For mm-hmm. us, I've, it's very been very much like, can women preach? You know, are, are you are you in the pulpit? Are you not in the pulpit? Which is a part of that complementary and egalitarian mm-hmm. conversation as well, too. Um, you know, there's so much to um, the history of Black women in the church. I mean, it's right. like, sorry, it's a book. <laughs> yes, um, and I'm sure book. we can link, um, <laughs> you know, but it's, I, I actually, this didn't make the article. Um, and I wish I can pull up my actually original one. Um, I wanted to write about the civil rights movement and how mm. women were sidelined and how mm. a lot of the men um, that led the civil rights movement were preachers and church leaders. And so how it sort of mirrored what was happening mm-hmm. in the church. Um, and so I started off... Um, and again, we, we sort of edited this out, but started off talking about the March on Washington and how there's an article um, about, there's several articles about how um, women were not allowed to speak the March on Washington. Um, you know, Aretha Franklin, I believe, sung, um, but uh, women weren't allowed to, um, you know, weren't, were not allowed to be at the podium. And so I was basically saying that um, it paralleled what was happening in the Black church, Mm -hmm. Um, how women were very much uh, the backbone, were serving, you know, were in the pews, you know, were on the committees, you know, but the decision makers, the preachers, it was very much modeled around like you know, men being in the leadership and at, at the center. Mm-hmm. Um, and women had had since fought. Um, there were women that were called to preach. I talk about Jarena Lee um, in the AME, mm-hmm. uh, when I'm talking mm-hmm. about the AMEs. And so even before that, she's like way before the civil rights movement. But even before then, um, women were saying, I, I've been called to preach. God called me as well. So that has been something that's continued to be ongoing. And what I tried to do is break down the three denominations and how that has played out. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it continues to be a debate today, but there are some churches that are way more progressive that have been you know, ordaining women for decades. You know? um, and then there are some that um, like Koja Church still, you know, they have women in leadership, but different types of leadership. So it varies. Um, but women find their way to positions and, and, and of power. Women have a very powerful voice in the Black church. Um, so I just wanted to highlight the fact that it's varied. Yeah. Um, that, you know, there are things that could be learned from our denominations as well. Yeah. Um, and there are very powerful women today, you know, that we see preaching, senior pastors, Bishop Dashtai McKenzie, you know, they're... Um, they are they are leading the way, leading the way. They are serving as a blueprint for us, um, and so I, I often think that we're 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 quite often left out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a, a few years back, I can't remember the exact context that it was, um, 
it was a, it was a conversation that was happening nationally about just sort of the marginalization of Christian voices or the marginalization of the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading, I think it was a tweet, maybe it was something on Facebook by Jamar Tisby saying, mm-hmm. um, you know, America, there's something that you can learn from the black church here. We, we mm-hmm. understand what it's been to be marginalized throughout our existence. Mm-hmm. Um, And I think that was one of the first times where it really struck me, this blind spot is so clear where there might be these conversations happening in white spaces um, where, you know, thinkers are coming to the table and we're seeking to address things and and provide a solution while over here is the black church that has maybe endured something, um, you know, or or solved something or brought Mm. creativity to the table Mm -hmm. and the tables don't collide or we don't pause to listen. And so I kind of had that feeling when I read your article, like, yeah, there's so much to learn here in this gender role conversation. Hmm. Um, I know this is asking a lot, but are there some things that you, if you said, yeah, had the chance to pinpoint a couple things that, you know, I wish you could learn this, or I wish you could um, pause and reflect on this. What are some things when you read those articles and those headlines regarding gender roles in the quote evangelical church where you say, you know what, the black church could speak into this here. Um, I Mm. wish you knew these things. Definitely the, the preaching conversation. I think the, um, I wouldn't say we got it right either. I think there are things that can be learned from the mistakes that we've made too. Um, when it comes to licensing women to preach, um, or ordaining women to preach. So this is a sort of a broad response, but it's like, it's a challenge more than anything, right? Like the question that I would ask white evangelicals or evangelicals in general, you know, would be, okay, so as you're, as you are assessing, um, you know, the, the scriptures and whether or not women should be called, you know, should be senior pastors in your denominations, how, how would you say, you know, could you do some research or take a look at how um, the Black church has sort of, or churches in your community, Black churches near, near you or wherever, um, how are they, how have they done it? How have mm-hmm. they um, come to the decision to, to ordain or even not to uh, ordain women um, mm-hmm. in their different congregations? And what, what, what could be learned from that? Um, just using this. Cause again, I don't, I had one experience growing up and I said, you know, I sure. saw women in the pulpit. And so I, I want to be really careful to not, you know, make it seem like everybody had that experience. Like Reverend Donna said that in my article, she was like, I grew up seeing women. It wasn't until I got to seminary, that I, you know? And so there, I had a very similar experience as her. So I do want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I am not making sort of a blanket statement there um, because I could easily say pastor stories. He had women, uh, a women associate pastor and executive pastor in 1991. Yeah. What, what was that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like how, how could we have a conversation with him, you know, and say, you know, pastor stories, that was, that was something a little bit different, you know, mm-hmm. um, it wasn't different to me, but to some, you know, that was a radical, a radical act of affirmation. Um, what, what was it that, 
you know, how did you conclude that? How did you land there? Did, did it take you a minute to even land there? Was it even a, a thought was there even a hesitation? Cause it didn't feel like that growing up. And how was this church in the early nineties that had men and women serving in pastoral roles able to thrive successfully? Mm. Um, You know, how was that, that model able to be one where people responded to spiritually and emotionally and personally? How did that model benefit the community the way that it did around us? So it wasn't just the church, but the community was thriving when, you know, the argument that a lot of these evangelical churches make is that it's, it's, it's harmful. It's going to be detrimental if there are women in the pulpit, but here we have a model, an example of there being uh, women and men working along one side another in a pastoral way mm-hmm. and the community at large benefiting from it, the congregation yeah. benefiting from it, me growing up seeing that benefiting from it. So there was a domino effect that even that that one decision that may seem minor had on so many of our lives. Yeah, yeah. That's something that could be learned. So it's not, yeah. again, it's not me saying, this is how all black churches do it. That's how one black right. church did it. Right. I would encourage other people to say, okay, the black churches in your communities, you should be partnering with them. You know, you should be, you know, saying there should be some sort of interfaith or some sort of something, you know, communities of faith, um, communicating with one another in general, just to yeah. learn from one another and in, in, in best practices. And so I would, that's how I would encourage uh, the Mm. evangelical church to sort of reach. We shouldn't have to be the ones to reach across the aisle all the time. I think that there should be some reaching toward us and saying, okay, what can we learn here? Yeah. That is such a great example. I love hearing the stories about your particular church back in the nineties. And I would imagine for your pastor to make that decision, that probably wasn't made lightly. You know, he, that was probably some, so much thought and, and prayer and wrestling probably went into that. And yet he carried it through. And as you say, a community was thriving and flourishing as a result. And um, I just really appreciate you reminding us of that and saying, Hey, look over here. There, there is, um, there is a whole community that has processed some of this and, and the result has been beautiful. (laughs) Why don't you take a peek? Um, Why don't you come and see? And I think that's just, I really, really do appreciate that. Let me close with just one more question, Christy. I I really wish, I hope we will come on again (laughs) next year. You know, like if we can keep the conversation going. But one thing that you said um, in the article still just resonates with me. Um, You were talking about the Church of God in Christ, one of the (laughs) largest and most influential Black Pentecostal denominations. (laughs) And you said that the churches honor the position of, quote, church mother. I love that. Is, is that an actual title or is it just, no, this is a mother or I I, tell, (laughs) unpack that for me because it stirred my soul when I read there's this position of church mother. You know, I I can't say if church mother was like, you know, kind of like pastor and then the person becomes it. I think the Mm. church mother just was Mm. the church mother just existed. And then (laughs) we bestowed that respect upon that individual, right? Upon that woman. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, we, there, there is a tradition in black communities of honoring our elders um, that we, we hope that continues throughout generations of making sure that we respect and that we give them their due 
but that they they hold a wisdom mm-hmm. um, that is beyond anything that we can comprehend, beyond any sermon. And so when you um, when there's a there when there are there are church mothers, right? When there are, are elders, uh, women in the church that um, continue that that come and serve faithfully, that are praying before service even starts, you know. Um, that are upholding the foundation of the church spiritually, um, that are correcting the children, you know, when they get out of the hand, um, Mm -hmm. that everybody looks to, you know, as their elder, right? Whether you are blood related or not, um, they become the, the, the church mother, they become Mm -hmm. the leader, their wisdom, their advice, their sharing, even the pastor or the bishop looks to them, um, so I wouldn't say that that is like a title that was given and then somebody holds it, you know? Yeah. No, not necessarily. That, that's not the history of it, at least. Yeah. The history of it is such that, that this, this woman, this, this elder just exists and just does, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that the sort of the, the divine, the divinity that sort of live, lives within her, um, it, it emanates throughout everyone, understands just naturally that that is someone that we look to, that we respect, that we honor. Um, And so that person, right there, it's like most churches that even outside of the Kojic church has a church mother, has elders, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that, that we respect and that we look to. So um, I think, you know, there are some cases where they, they say, Oh, that's our church mother. That's the church mother. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily like a, you know, a, a job distinction or some sort of title that they, you know, um, we, we give it to them. We give it to them out of respect and out of love. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're going to do this regardless of what they're called. They're going to show mm-hmm. up. They're going to be the yeah. last ones at, at church and the first ones there regardless. Um, mm-hmm. So it's very important for us to, um, for us to honor that, that role. Yeah. Even in just that description, I mean, I feel exhorted by that, convicted by that, challenged by that. Um, I think that, yeah, for us in in the U.S., especially in the church spaces that I'm in, we don't think of church as family primarily. Um, we mm-hmm. think of it as a place to go and, and probably consume more. Um, but it's mm. it's such biblical language. So we are the family and there are church mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers. And so I just feel challenged by that description of what's already going on in black spaces. There's the mother and that's in, in my congregation. I'm older than many of the you know, other women. Mm. So that's a role I need to play and my sisters <laughs> need to play as well. And mm-hmm. I just take hold of that and be there first and leave last and correct yeah. the kids and love mm-hmm. the people. So <laughs> thanks for sharing that description. It's, I, it leaves me with something, you know, that I really do want to um, work toward um, as God allows. Um, Christy, any final thoughts or words? Um, I know that you said you cut so much out of the article that you would have liked <laughs> to put in there. If there's anything else you want to share with us, I want to invite you to do that. I'm, I'm just grateful for for what you've already said. My hope um, is that, you know, people, regardless of their ethnicity, will, will want to learn from yeah. um, the model of the Black church historically and even the contemporary black church. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much there and, and our doors aren't closed, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like right. they're very, they're very much open. Um, and 
you know, so much so, and, and not to bring up sort of the unfortunate, uh, what happened in Charleston a few years ago, Charleston yeah. nine. And one of the first things I thought about, you know, um, was when they were sharing uh, how the, mm-hmm. the young man came to the church, right? And you have this historic black church um, and this group that's meeting for Bible study of all black people. And you have this white man that comes in, right? Young, mm-hmm. young white man. And they're like, come on in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it wasn't a, our doors are closed. It yeah. was come as you are, whoever you are. Right. Yeah. So it's like their identity as black people in the black church maintained. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, that continues that, that maintained that stays consistent through all, throughout all black churches. Right. But that, that come on in, yeah. you know, that, that just gives me chills every time because that is how, majority of those churches are right come on in come on in you know and how they talk about how the the young man sort of wavered right like for Mm. that he said like you know i even thought for a second because they were so kind and so welcoming Mm. but then i was like "Eh, i'm still going to go through with it you know and then Mm. unfortunately they were killed um but that's the black church right Mm. like what what i envision um you know, the, the sort of welcome open armsness because they naturally could have been like, this is a closed Bible study or Mm -hmm. who are you? Or "Mm -mm, you look like, you know, you don't belong, but it just, it's, it, even from his testimony, it was like, that wasn't even his, who he was and what he looked like or whatever. It just like, didn't even feel like it was even in, in consideration to, that and I think black people have felt that way about certain evangelical churches, mm-hmm, right? For sure. um, mm-hmm. Or you know, sort of entering and feeling othered or feeling like, mm-hmm. eh, or you know. Um, but so I don't want for any conversations around um, highlighting the black church to sound like anything other than what it was that sentiment that. Um, I just explained to you that come yeah. on in that that mm-hmm. is essentially what you know the the feeling that's sort of at the heart of the black church. Yeah, that's beautiful because that's that's the heart of our Savior. <laughs> come on yeah. in. Thank you, Christy. I'm really grateful for your voice. And um, there will be so many links, including how to keep up with you. But I do hope for the listeners that this will just be the beginning and um, they will explore more. So thank you. Hey, thanks so much for listening to All Things, where we look at current events and cultural trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.